0: Okay, so don't judge me too much, but there's a version of this conversation that I have with my wife almost every day, and I am not exaggerating. So she is the chief requisition officer in our house. You know, she goes to the grocery store. She knows where things are at. And, and I will often have an item like, hey, do we have garlic? You know, So I'll go into my wife and I'll say, hey, do we have garlic? And she'll say, yes, honey, it's in the refrigerator. Usually she's nice about it. And so I will go into the refrigerator. I will open up the fridge and I cannot find the garlic. So I will go back to my... No, no, stop poking at people. Some of you are like, I know this man. I've met him before. So I'll go back to my wife and I'll say, I cannot find the garlic. And so what I will do is I will go back to the refrigerator. Look again where she says that it is. And then, and then over time, after we do this give and take, now this could be the refrigerator, the pantry, you guys get it, right? And and then my wife and her skill will walk into the place where literally I was standing three inches away from the garlic and she will hand it to me. Usually she doesn't have anything snarky to say when she hands it to me, right? I'm, I'm looking at it, right? Heaven forbid she ever asked me to get something out of her purse. I'm, I'm just dead in the water, you know? Now, some of you have experienced this before, right? Uh, some of you have met people like me before, and some of you are married to people like me, right? You're the gracious person who knows where things are at. But the Lord Jesus said something very interesting. He said that there would be people in Matthew 13, 13 that would be seers but not see an interesting statement i guess that's how you could describe me and, and and at this time of year and as we come to the conclusion of our study in the book of acts what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul wrestling with people who had seen the marks of the Messiah. That the the declaration that there was going to be a much-anticipated individual that was going to be the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world, that there would be an individual that we're told over 300 prophecies are recorded in Scripture about the coming Messiah. That's incredible, right? And that these 300 prophecies were fulfilled completely in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the, the Bethlehem star behind me. That, that this, this physical, tam, t- tangible recognition of the fact that God was on the move. This, this statement that the light has come. What we celebrate at this time of year when we look at the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's incredible about it is that we're gonna see in these last few chapters of the book of Acts, that there were people who were exposed to the truth, that they even saw the evidence of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they still denied it. They ignored it. They abandoned it. They, They missed the message of the Messiah. In the Apostle Paul, in these last few chapters, some of you are checklist people. You love checking off. We're going to finish the book of Acts today. You should have a sense of accomplishment. It's been about a year that we've worked through this book. Some of you are like, yes. (laughs) But for others of you, you're sad like me because I've just enjoyed it so much. But we're going to go through several chapters. Some of these are chapters that repeat statements that were said earlier, some new things. But I want you to catch this as we study this together in God's word together today, that that the Apostle Paul is going to react to people who had been exposed to the light of the gospel, but yet that they were people who chose to ignore the reality of the Messiah. It's interesting to me that J. Barton Payne, um, he famously identified, he's a theologian, and he famously identified some 574 verses in the Old Testament that had direct Personal messianic foretellings. He goes on to point out a few that are significant, a few that stand out to me as well. The time of Jesus's birth, Daniel eight and nine. The time that the fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem is described clearly in Micah five two. In Isaiah seven fourteen, it says that he would be born of a virgin. In in Zechariah eleven twelve, it says he would be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. In Psalm twenty two seven. And 8 it says he would be mocked in John 3.14, it said he would be crucified. In Psalm 22.16, not to put too fine of a point on it, it said he would be pierced. Isaiah 53.9, he would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. We, we talk about eight of these right now. I, I could share with you literally hundreds that are in scripture. There's 11 of them in the book of Psalms alone. And, and they're clear. They, they talk specifically about what Jesus was going to experience, who he was going to be, where he's going to be born, Who's going to herald him to come? And these, this, this fact, the evidence that was in front of every individual that was alive at that time and every person who's lived since is overwhelming. And yet some people still choose today to ignore it. And so the question that I want to ask you this morning is, is why? Well, why would people miss the Messiah? What would make them choose to ignore the Messiah? And I I would suggest this morning that it's partially because of the fact that the Messiah and his messengers, we'll see this in the life of the Apostle Paul, threaten the way we want to do our lives, (laughs) The, the, the decisions that we want to make, who we, how we want to experience life. Do you guys remember the old Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way? The last, uh, the last few sentences of that are haunting to me. It says, For what is a man? What has he got if not himself? Then he has not to say, I'm not singing it for you. You're thankful, are you? Um, he has not to say all the things that he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. That's an interesting statement. The record shows I took the blows, but I did it my way. That's, that's, that's the cry of a generation. That's a, the that's a cry of thousands of years of people who've lived since Christ. I want to have it the way I want to have it. And today we're going to see examples in the book of Acts of individuals who wanted to just keep the status quo. There's other people who... there's a threat to their livelihood or their circumstances. And the religious people of the day, the the chief priests, those who are going to surround the accusations that are going to come towards the Apostle Paul are people who saw the marks of the Messiah. Even the non-religious leaders that are going to be referenced here, Paul's going to call them out and he's going to say, you saw this, you've heard this, you've been exposed to this. It's time for you to believe And I want to encourage you this morning, as we look at these last few chapters of the book of Acts, that I just want to encourage, don't miss it. Don't miss it this Christmas season. Don't miss the reality of the Messiah, the one that was anointed to come to seek and to save that which was lost, the the one who brought light into a dark world. I want to encourage you as we look at this, that this, this much anticipated Messiah was one that was easily rejected even in the midst of his message of hope that that there's individuals who would choose to just say, I want to do it my way. One really effective way to ignore or miss the Messiah is to see him as a threat to your way of life. If you'll turn with me in Acts chapter 24, we'll, we'll pick up in verse five. It says this, for we have found this man a plague. Now, now, who's saying this? This is a group of individuals who were committed to accusing the Apostle Paul. They were Jews that were in the community. Some had come from other towns, but they, they literally go out and hire a lawyer. I, I love those signs. Mishni makes him pay. Am I saying his name right? You know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I like just picture him pointing. Like, they, they, some believe this might have even been a secular lawyer or a Gentile lawyer. The, the Jews are so frustrated with. Paul. They're so frustrated with his message of hope. They are so angry that they're now trying to to accuse and to see Paul's life end. And the man that they're doing this to is this man, Felix. It's very interesting. The, the man, Felix, it was one who was known for his violence. He'd crucified many people. He was a person that was um, known as being, uh, his his rule was tumultuous. And ironically, in the text, the the Jewish lawyer says, "Felix, you're a great guy, and we're so glad for the peace." That he, they just flatter him. They 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 say whatever they think he wants to say, and then uh, they they go on and they accuse the Apostle Paul of this. For we have found this man pointing at the Apostle Paul a plague. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? In 2020, uh, to think of a person as a plague—he's turning the world upside down, right? We found in this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Last week, Pastor Jim did an incredible job reminding us of truth. And these people are twisting the truth. They're using rubber words. Like we said, they they kind of bend them to mean and to say what they want them to. They're accusing him of heresy, of sacrilege, and of treason. And it happens three times in this section. Of scripture, heresy, sacrilege, treason. But the Apostle Paul responds back and I love his beautiful, clear response. And I believe it's helpful for us to understand that that the text literally says that he responded with cheer. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Uh, the, The Greek word that describes how he responded in Acts 24, verse 10 is he says, knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You know, I want to be a man who in the light of challenges still responds with cheer. That that still senses the joy of the Lord, that's confident and excited about where the Lord takes us. I hope that that's a part of who I am. And I see this Paul's literally being uh being being uh, on trial. He's he's on trial for a life or death matter. Like they they want to put him to death and here he responds with cheerful joy. I think it brings to the surface now, as he talks to this Felix, one of the other ways that people ignore the Messiah, and that is that they're just indifferent about him. Felix sits next to his wife, Drusilla, who um, there was a bit of a scandal, according to Josephus, that surrounds us that he um, he started um, a relationship with her while she was still married. She's just in her early 20s and and he, he just liked his life. He, he liked his life the way that it was. And it says this in verse 25. And as he reasoned about righteousness, this is the Apostle Paul's message, and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And he says, go away for the present. And when I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. It kind of reminds me of Joseph when he's put in in prison. and and neglected. It says this in verse 26. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he wanted a bribe. So he sent for him often, and he conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, um, Felix left Paul in prison. And then what he's going to go on to do is this This Felix is going to set up a kind of a conspiracy between the Jews to send send the apostle Paul to Jerusalem. And in that process, they had um, plotted to take Paul's life. And Paul ends up appealing to Caesar. And in that process, the Lord spares his life. But, but Felix is another man who was surrounded by the truth of the Messiah, but was a man who chose to ignore it. You know, Earlier, I mentioned those 300 prophecies. Remember that? And in scripture, what we're told um, in the midst of those 300 prophecies is very specific details about the Messiah, how he would come, how he would raise from the dead, his experience. I love what Professor Peter W. Stoner has said. He's a professor of mathematics and astronomy. And he said that the chances of just eight prophecies about Jesus coming true by sheer chance would be about 1 in 117. That, in mathematical terms, is a 1,000 quintillions, and that is a sextillion. I didn't even know that was a thing. I had to look that up, right? Uh, this number is so hard for us to get our mind around. He uses this illustration for it. He said, if you took a silver dollar, then you marked it, a specific one, and then you stacked it, Uh, in a stack of other silver dollars that are two feet high and you spread that across the state of Texas, I'm not recommending this, Uh, but if you did this and then you blindfolded someone and you asked them to go in and pick up a coin and if that coin that they picked up was the one, that that would be the odds of you just happening on having a person fulfill these eight. If you add another eight or to get up to the 300, the numbers are asking, there's not enough room on the screen to put that truth in there. And I, I read this and I, and I find it to be so helpful. That same man, Professor Stoner puts it pretty bluntly. He says, any man who rejects Christ as the son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the history of the world. Isn't that great? So, so it takes a lot of faith to reject the work of Christ. Now, there's people that the Apostle Paul is interacting with that, because of their pride, because of their selfishness, their greed. You know, I want I want uh, a bribe on the side of things that, or indifference that that there are people who who miss it because of the fact that they just say, yeah, I'll get to that later. That's that's another day. That's another another challenge. But if we we go back to Acts, what we see with this man, Felix, is that he he seems to declare in the text that he understands Paul's innocence, but he, but he, he left the apostle Paul in prison for two years. Can you imagine what that felt like for Paul? Here's, he's a man who's obeying the, the Lord's leadership in his life, and he finds himself in prison for two years. I, I would guess that for some of us, you can relate to that right now. You feel like your experience in life has been one where where the rules have changed it hasn't gone according to plan that that like i mentioned joseph earlier that it just hasn't planned out the way that i expected it to but the apostle paul uncharacteristically according to man responds with joy still and he responds in a way that is so encouraging to me and i think that's partially because he believes something that is essential about the messiah second point this morning is through jesus christ the light pierced the darkness. I love this this image so so Paul says, um, talks to this man, Agrippa, uh, who was the replacement leader after Felix had been forced to step down because of his indifference and his inability to lead and It says this in um, chapter twenty six on verse one it says so Agrippa said to Paul, "You have permission to speak for yourself." Then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all of the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to, to listen to me patiently. Then if we skip ahead to verse six, he, Paul then begins to tell a story. Third time in the book of Acts that he records his um, his full testimony of his experience with with God revealing truth to him. And it's important for us to remember, let's catch this together, that Paul didn't get it right the first time. That Paul actually ignored the Messiah when he first came. Paul's personal experience was to be one that persecuted Christians at the beginning. Then he confesses this to Agrippa, and then he says in verse 6, he says, "And now I stand here on trial because of my hope" in the promises, promise made by God to our fathers. We've been talking about this prophecy, the description that the Messiah was going to come and he's saying, I'm standing in front of you. You're familiar with the scriptures, verse seven, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. So they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In other words, he said, it happened. We, we experience this. You're, you're missing it. And, and this encouragement is, is that, hey, just because you missed it, I missed it too. I persecuted zealously Christians from the beginning. That's what Paul says. And then, and then he declares that statement, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, where, who are you, Lord? I think this is, this is one of the most important questions that any of us are ever going to answer in our life. Who is the Lord to us? Is he our Messiah? Is he our Lord? Is he worthy of obedience? Is he our king? Or is he a good idea? Is he grandma's Grandma's God? Is he Uncle Tom's God? Who, who is his? Who is this God? And, and, and I think for each one of us, we have to ask ourselves the question, who are you, Lord? And then it goes on in verse 15. It says, and, at, and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you've seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Verse 18 is incredible. It says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know what that means? You're saying, like, you need to be an ambassador for the message that you've received, that you're a person who's experienced hope. I hope that's your story in this room today. I hope you're a person who can say that you've experienced the power and work of the Messiah in your life. And that you understand that there's a real darkness around us. You guys know that there have been multiple individuals in the news recently in our community. Maybe it's impacted your life who've either attempted suicide or who are in, who. this last week, there are terrible stories that came out of Brunswick in the community around us. And what we just accept is that there's people who are stuck in darkness right now. Their hope, like the Satan wants to steal, kill, and devour. He tempts us to to... To isolate ourselves and to pull ourselves away from the hope that God has for us. And here the Apostle Paul says, I was on the wrong side of this, by the way. I I got on the right side of it because I went from darkness to light. Literally, you remember? And, And now I have the privilege of declaring to other people to open your eyes so that they may turn from darkness. There's a tone in this that's appropriate. So he's taking this really seriously. Like, this is a really big deal. I, I want to share this. I, I, I want to be even a person who does this with someone who's trying to decide if it's, it's time for me to live or to die. It's funny, in verse 24, it goes on to say, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. That's not very nice, is it? Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Uh, Verse 25. But Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. I love that message last week. That there is truth. We don't need to be afraid of truth. There's truth. And as a Christ follower, some of you have heard your whole life. Some of you going to public schools or places that that discourage you at times from your beliefs or understanding truth of God. It's truth. That, that, that we can be people who both maintain our minds and ask the hardest questions of life and still be rational in that process. The apostle Paul was proud of that fact. Verse 26, and then he, he makes it really personal to Festus. He says, for the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. <laughs> and then Paul goes on to say in verse 27, King Agrippa do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Now, remember the prophets, the declarations of a Messiah that was going to come. Do you believe in this? And then and then Paul uses this this powerful statement. I know you believe. I I have no idea what made him so bold. But verse 28, and Agrippa said, "In such a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian?" And Paul is absolutely saying, "That's what I want." And Paul says, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. And then I love this kind of uh, a little bit of humor there. And he says, except for these chains, that's what he says. So, hey, I'd love to take these chains off me. So Paul remains steadfast in his commitment to articulate hope to a world that desperately needs it. Are you being steadfast to that calling? I have to ask myself that question in my life right now. I, I use that phrase where we live, work, and play. Like this, when we say church isn't just, a, isn't a place that you go to, but God has called us to be the church. I wonder in each of our lives, are we people who approach the gospel with a boldness? I, I've had stories that have come out recently and people have shared them with me of Grandparents have just decided they're going to shoot straight with their grandkids. Hey, this is the most important thing about me. Have you ever considered what it, what it means to be a person who understands the God of the universe? I've had people who've shared that they also regret missing out on some of the conversations that they wished they had had with people who've passed away. And I just, I just read this and I think Paul is a person who says, "Hey, I'm just going to lay it out there and." We know over the next few chapters that the Apostle Paul is going to continue to suffer. He's going to go through an incredible shipwreck, one that um, led to a moment, a really powerful moment where uh, a Roman centurion uh, would have been expected during the shipwreck to kill the prisoners and the graciousness and kindness of, of the centurion because he respected and cared for Paul, spared their lives and the lives of those who were on the ship with him like Luke. You see the the kindness unexpected of a uh, kindness of the Malta natives individuals who provided food for them and shelter and and then the apostle paul God uses the apostle Paul. you remember that snake incident where a snake comes up while he 's carrying wood and bites his finger and he people think he's going to to die and he just shakes it off. I love that that image of the apostle Paul being confident in the mighty right hand of God and then we see that the the main leader of the tribe in Malta gets sick the native there and the apostle paul heals him and ends up healing other people through the power of god people come to christ there's there's stories of people who understand the truth and and in this in this time period of great distress and discouragement the apostle paul finally in acts 27 and 28 we see the recording of in chapter 28 of him arriving in rome he makes it there Now, now do you guys remember what caused all of this hardship for Paul? That it was really the Jewish community that was rejecting the Messiah, that they were angry at the message, that they called him a rebel rouser and a person who was heretical. And so Paul makes it to Rome um, as he was pleading to Caesar. And what we're told in the text is that he does something very unexpected. He calls together the Jewish community the first thing that he does when he arrives there. It says this in verse 20, the, the, the for this that he's speaking to is the Jewish community. He says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He holds his chains as a mark of his obedience to the Lord. And so what we're told in verse 30 is that he lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What a great phrase. So, so here, the last verse in the book of Acts, and the declaration, the description is that the apostle Paul ends as a man who's obe- obeying the call of the Lord in his life, that That he even chose to seek those who were causing great pain in his life. And I love that he did all of this with some kind of uncharacteristic, unworldly joy. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't it encourage you? To see this, and, and when I say I'm grateful for this unstoppable series, that, that I found myself as we've gone through this book of Acts, and congratulations you did it, as we've gone through this book of Acts, what we've just seen is that the Lord is faithful. There's nothing that can stop him. His mighty right hand is strong enough for us. But I also want you to catch this as we gear up for the Christmas season. We're going to do a series over the next few weeks about light and how light pierces the darkness. And I want to encourage you as we go through this that that the Lord has not... Um, hid from us his truth about the Messiah. It's been on display for each one of us to to see, to to experience, to understand. And he's made this message clear, just like the Apostle Paul did with with Festus and with others. And uh, some of you know I like football and I appreciate football very much. And I played football in high school. And the position I played was on the defense. I was a linebacker. And some of you may know that the linebacker, when you're focused on, during the football game, you're usually focused at what's going on. In front of you with the offense, so you're you're heading in that direction and, and all too often it happened a couple of times i 'm pretty sure I was concussed before they figured out what concussions were. you guys know what I mean, but uh, there would be this thing that would happen where a big tight end would knowing that you're focused this way and those helmets are a little tight, that they would come full speed out of nowhere and just blast you and I mean I mean just blast you. you know you know mouth guard flying, helmet hitting the ground you guys don't even. Care, do you? Because you like, it hurt, right? But, but it, on your team, if you had somebody who was a defensive back or a safety behind you that cared about you, they would call out a crack block, crack block. And, and I'll tell you, there's, there are a few things in life that are more fun when you know somebody's coming full speed at you and you can return the favor. It's awesome, you yeah? <laughs> And, and, and I just want to tell you, church, that, that today as we gear up for this, this Advent season, the anticipation of the Messiah, that the God, God of the universe was really clear. I'm coming. I, I'm sending my son to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and, and he did not stutter in that process. He was crystal clear to us. That the message of the Messiah was coming, but even in the midst of that message, there would be people who would choose to ignore it and take the, the take the the pain of ignoring it and And I just see in the apostle paul this this call out to each one of us this is this is really important for us this is essential for us to understand. That that the message of the gospel has to be our story, or we're going to just find ourselves, did you hear what he said, stuck in the darkness with the deceiver, right? And and so for each one of us today, I just want to remind you, when we declare the stories of what happened in Bethlehem, and when we find ourselves singing these songs, and we're going to sing those songs here, Lord willing, as a church family, and as we sing these phrases, don't miss the Messiah in the midst of talking about the traditions of Christmas, let's remember the fact that literally this is light piercing the darkness. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And I thank you so much for your loving kindness and that we get to fit into a tradition of people. Part of the reason why we call ourselves Christ followers today is because of what happened in Rome 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul went into A very difficult situation and just continued to declare the hope of the gospel. I thank you for revealing yourself to him, a man who was in opposition for you. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Lord, you just remind us that there's nobody in this room that's too far away from you. There's nobody in this room that has rejected you so much that you won't continue to allow them to receive grace and loving kindness. But I just beg of you right now, Lord, for any person who can relate to Paul in that early stage of his life when he was on the wrong side, missing the truth, ignoring it, just like so many we saw in the text today, would you allow today to be a day that we rest in you? And I pray for those of us who've received this message of hope, Lord, that we would be people who understand what it means to be incandescent, to be people who allow our lives to radiate the light of the gospel, like the Apostle Paul and so many men and women who've gone before us. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your word that you promise us it will not return void. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.